yes, hello, man. Speak with Evan, please. Uh, speak. Hey, Evan, how's it going? This is uh, Angel Rodriguez. Oh, hey, how are you? How are you? Good, good. Yourself? Ah, uh, hectic lately. <laughs> hectic. But, uh, I'm okay. Okay. The city of New York, Boricua from the Bronx. I, um, uh, you know, looked, looked up some of the, the, uh, Wikipedia, some articles and stuff. I see you, you're, you're heavily involved with, um, the wrestling side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been, uh, been involved with wrestling for the longest time. And, uh, originally, originally as a fan, later as a fan scene editor, wrestling, we call it Sheets, uh, writing about the business, uh, published uh, Wrestling Then and Now, which, uh... That's a newsletter, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's a newsletter, and, uh, at one point, I was very heavily involved with it. Now, now it just comes out sporadically. Um, but um, from doing that, I ended up uh, as an agent, and I, I booked various uh, legends, you know, for autograph signing. This past weekend, uh, I just had Lanny Popo uh, sign. For uh, a uh, autograph appearance, Manny the Genius Papo, Macho Man, Manny Savage's brother. Mm. Uh, I don't know how I don't know how big a wrestling fan you are, but uh, I watched wrestling until I I learned it was scripted. Uh, me and my dad used to watch it all the time. Like it was like our our weekend thing to watch all the wrestling and stuff. There's nothing fake about what these guys do. You, you know what I mean? Um, there may be uh, some sort of plot or something already predetermined, you know, it's going to be Hulk Hogan who wins or whatnot, but there's nothing fake about flying through the air, you know. Yeah, gravity, gravity is fake, they, they, they end up with, they end up with bad backs, bad hips, uh, you know, and they, they, uh, they hate the word fake, you know. Yeah. yeah no, it's I, like a magician, it's like a magician, it's an art, it's an art, it's like, it's like a, uh, like a movie, if you watch a fight, you know, uh, if it looks real, you did a good job. If it doesn't, uh, you've done a poor job, you know? Yeah, yeah. Plus, I mean, there's the, the acrobatics, everything that they're doing is, is real. Even, you know, when you get thrown around in judo throws and things like that, those falls hurt. So, oh, yeah. I can imagine, you know, <laughs> some of these guys are huge and they're doing these backflips off, off like the top rope. <laughs> As I got older, how many of these guys passed away? It's very surprising. They're, you know, these just these big monsters of men and stuff. So. Well, that was part of the problem. Uh, you know, they started pushing the big steroid physiques and uh, killed a lot of these guys. And uh, a friend of mine in the business, uh, Tiger Khan, one of my best friends, uh, he died uh, seven years ago. He worked at a heart in Calgary.
society, the family, see that I have to deal with it, friends, it's a rough business, very rough business. And uh, I was associate, I was associate producer on the wrestler for Darren Aronofsky, and uh, I, I think we captured that. You know. Now, so, so you were you were involved with this film. Like, what 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 do you do as a associate producer? Like, I would say I was basically the uh, wrestling person, if you will. Uh, I brought in uh, I brought in 150 wrestlers for casting calls. Uh, I brought in the Necro Butcher, was Mickey Rock's uh, main opponent, one of the main opponents in the film. Um, I uh, basically uh, was the wrestling guy. I brought. Aaron Aronofsky and the producer and the uh, screenwriter to various indie wrestling shows, and you know, I opened the door for them to, you know, enter that world because uh, the promoters knew me; they didn't know them, you know. And it was uh, it was a very rewarding experience. Uh, you know, the film Mickey Rock's performance is. As good a performance as you're ever going to see in a film. You know, you don't really have to be a wrestling fan to uh, appreciate how good he is and how good, you know, a movie uh, Darren made. Uh, yeah, the, the story looks very, very good. It, it, the whole, the whole, the whole concept of it looks like. Uh, well, it, it's like it, it's like Rocky. You know, yeah, you exactly. Rocky. You have to be a boxing fan to. script. <laughs> 
this was totally unscripted. And I go, Evan. <laughs> so he goes, he goes, how do you spell it? And I go, E-V-A-N. So, you know, and he repeats E-V-A-N. And, you know, then we do the, the uh, we take a picture together. And I'm playing myself in a fictional movie. It's surreal. It's absolutely surreal. You have to see this. <laughs> that's, that's the picture on your uh, Facebook. Exactly. Yeah, that's the picture on my Facebook. Yeah. So, uh, so that thirty seconds of screen uh, of screen time or whatever it is 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 my little piece of immortality, if you will. So, uh, yeah. That's pretty cool. That, that sounds like fun. Uh, it was fun. Yeah, it, it was fun. Kind of get you got you kind of get pulled into it and you just go with it. You know, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some people would have froze like a deer in the headlights, so I was proud I rose to the occasion. There's a, you know, a mob of people watching you and giant cameras in your face, and you're not an actor, <laughs> you know, and you're acting with a great actor, you know, with, with no script, no less. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a challenge. It was a challenge, but, uh, you know, next thing I know, Aronofsky's running over to me, pounding me in the chest, going, that was great, that was great. <laughs> you know, the guy's a world-class director. So, uh, so next thing I know, it's, uh, you know, they, they've edited the film, and I'm sitting I'm sitting at the New York Film Festival at Lincoln Center. There's 2,300 people uh, sold out, and we're screening the wrestler. And I don't know if my little thing is in it or not. You know, it's months later. I'm, you know, I'm not editing the movie, obviously. So, uh, so we're we're at the uh, film festival, and uh, there I am on the big screen. And my my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, she looks at me and she goes, "That's you." You know, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's me." You know, it, it, it was wild. It was wild. So. Uh, 2,300 people at the New York Film Festival and uh, Lincoln Center. So, um, yeah, you, you know, um, it, sometimes your life just takes very strange twists and turns. And uh, that was one of the great experiences of my life, making that movie. You also have uh, you have uh, your own show. I, I watched, uh, you had sent me a link some, some, some days ago, and I watched... Uh, I like that uh, Spanish singer, Edwin Vasquez. Yeah, Edwin Vasquez is awesome. Edwin Vasquez uh, uh, played on the Cape Man GD with uh, Paul Simon and Mark Anthony. And uh, he's just, he's great. He calls it Gypsy Soul. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's Latin jazz. It's, it's R&B. It's jazz. It's a mixture of everything. And uh, he sings in English. He sings in Spanish. It doesn't matter. You know, the guy's just great. The guy can sing the phone book, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's very soothing, you know? And I like the Spanish stuff, too, because I, I can understand it as well. I can understand his English and his Spanish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Edwin. Edwin is a uh, working musician. Edwin makes a living as a musician. You know, he, he's not like, you know, he's not a nine to five uh, doing it part time. He's a musician, you know, and, and he's, he's just world class and, uh, and, 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 and just a great person, also very spiritual. And, um, you know, he, he sings from the heart. He sings from the heart. And, uh, you know, um, so we, we just started the T 
TV show that uh, gets broadcast on TV, and uh, it's almost like a cross between the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson and uh, the Ed Sullivan Show because it's it's uh, you guys have some variety on.
I grew up in I grew up in I grew up in East Flatbush, Brooklyn, and uh, it was it was a rough neighborhood, and, and I I wrote an entire book about it. You know, I know, I know. Believe me, I know. I, I the book called Apartment Four, New York, in Brooklyn, and I, fifty I, I years. Yeah, yeah, yeah fifty or so short stories about growing up in a very tough neighborhood in the sixties. I mean, that was that was back when there were gangs and riots, and uh, it was rough back then. And back in that time, like. Like that's that's kind of considered Williamsburg today, right? That no, 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 no. East Flatbush, uh, East Flatbush is uh, Brown? right, right by right by Downstate Medical Center where I grew up. Uh, not far from Flatbush Avenue, where they used to have a ton of movie theaters. They don't have a close walking distance to Erasmus High School. Now this this um like back in that time frame, what what was were the problems? Because I know, you know, well, the problems. Uh, the problems were in in society in general. Uh, you know, it was the civil rights era, and uh, and you know, there was a lot of racial tension in the air, and uh, there was a lot of political tension, and uh, the neighborhood itself. Uh, the issue was what you would call blockbusting. I don't know if you're familiar with blockbusting, but uh, what would happen would be uh, there'd be uh, like a white homeowner and the real estate sharks would knock on his door and say, uh, oh, oh, listen, by the way, uh, you know, uh, the neighborhood's changing. The neighborhood's changing. You, you better get rid of your house quick, you know, because it's not going to be worth anything. And then they would rip off the white guy and then they would sell it you know, to the African-American family and rip him off too because they tell the African-American family you're moving into a white neighborhood. <laughs> you know, so, so this, this expediated the uh, the process, you know, and they were just playing on racial tensions and racism, and, which was totally illegal also. And, uh, yeah, and ultimately there was a murder on the next block, a murder one block away, and, you know, the rumor that spread through, and it's all in the book, and, and I'm telling it from a kid's point of view. I was a little kid at the time. Uh, the rumor was, that, you know, black guy killed his girlfriend. Black guy killed his girlfriend. So, uh, you know, the white people are uh, fleeing in droves to Long Island. So then, of course, they find out a white guy did it, you know? But uh, so it was like a whole set of circumstances that... Uh, just led to a lot of racial tensions, and, uh, and as a kid, you're in the middle of it all, and uh, the good, the bad, and ugly of it. So basically, in ten words or less, and, uh, in movies they call it high concept. Can you explain something? Can you explain the movie in ten words or less? It's, uh, it's the only white kid in, on the block. Basically, that's the book. You know. So yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, and, and the, the, like I said, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. That sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was interesting. And uh, why was it interesting? Because, you know, you learn about people. You learn about people. And, uh, you know, some people uh, couldn't be more supportive, loving, uh, you know, uh, looking out for you. And other people were bullies and abusive and racist, you know, you, 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 saw, you saw both ends of it from both sides, you know. Uh, you know, the crazy you know, thing is, like, if you really think about it, 
some people could say that not much has changed, you know what I mean? Well, yes and no, yes and no. I mean, my wife is, I'm, I'm white and Jewish, my wife's uh, Christian and Korean, and, uh, you know, even even in, in, in my scenario, you know, uh, you know, I heard from people, look out, it could be a green card scam, you know, back when I met her. One of my friends said that jokingly to me, to me and my wife, she's too beautiful for you. <laughs> <laughs> It must have been something. No, I, I, they told me directly. They're like, you, they're like, you better get a prenup. This could be a green card scam. And, uh, you know, I, I said, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, so, you know, we're married over three years now. And, you know, everything's good. It's, uh, you know, sometimes opposites attract. You know, you don't have to. And, and it's not really opposites. I mean, you would think so, but... Uh, you know, she she's a, she's a uh, piano teacher. You know, she loves music. I love music. Uh, you know, you do have things in common. Some things are universal. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's somebody. Uh, I was just talking to somebody today. Uh, my my, my friend's uh, a white guy, and his, his wife's black. And uh, he, uh, we were talking about the uh, TV commercial. Um, where, where they have the interracial couple and, and, and all kinds of idiots have been sending email about it. Yeah. And uh, we're like, we can't believe this. It's fucked up. Yeah, it is pretty messed up. The Initially, like, I watched the commercial because I didn't know what the controversy was. And I watched the commercial. I want to say two. There's no controversy. It's racist assholes reacting badly to something that, you know, that's innocuous. It, it was innocuous. It was a nice family. And, there, was nothing, uh, there was nothing bad in it at all. There was nothing. I watched the commercial and I said, but where's the bad thing? And I watched it the second bad, time. The bad thing is, is in the people that react badly to it. Yeah. And, and, and look, I'll tell you something. Uh, you know, believe me, uh, you get some religious Jews and I'm Jewish and, and they would hate me, hate me for marrying outside my religion. Problem. You know, really. It's, uh, you know, it's... Uh, what can I tell you? It, it's, uh, you know, but people live their own life. I, I, I don't care if you're gay and married. I, you know, I don't care what anybody else does in the bedroom. No, it's like, uh, you know. I, I agree. Look, uh, teach his own, right? Yeah, that's it. You, you don't have to be totally anything. You know, uh, Dick Gregory, the famous comedian, says uh, he reads eight newspapers a day. You know, he wants to see everybody's opinion. So, because uh, the, the, tr the truth is somewhere in the middle, and you formulate you formulate your own uh, opinion. I mean, I'm I, you know I'm a New York City Jewish liberal, but uh, you know sometimes they go, yeah, it is insane how much debt we go into, and it is insane, you know, how much money is spent on war and military, and uh, you know, it's uh, I mean. Why is it the only way to solve problems is to, like, blow people up? I mean, uh, you know, it's, uh, we have war after The 20th century was the most violent century in the history of mankind. And, um, you know, like, if we look back, if we look back at 1,013, we go, oh, those people were primitive. They didn't have indoor plumbing. They, 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 they went to the bathroom outdoors, <laughs> you know, whatever. And they didn't have phones, cars, uh, you know, anything, computers. And, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you for a fact, a thousand years from now, they'll look back at us and go, those people were crazy. They were savages. 
kill each other. All they did was that war after war after war. But for so, oil, uh, right? They'll, they'll be like, for oil? Who the hell uses oil anymore? Yeah, who uses oil anymore? What, what, what were they, nuts? <laughs> they'll, they'll laugh at us like we were primitive, like we were cavemen. I'm telling you. And, uh, we think we're so hot because we have a $400 phone in our pocket. You know, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. You know when when um when I interviewed Alicia and Chris for for their own blog actually I they were my first interview um they mentioned that you you mentored you know um, you mentored them Alicia specifically uh kept on mentoring that you were uh very you know like a mentor to her in in this whole um, talk show industry and stuff. Well, that's that's nice, but look look um you know. It's kind of like that path it forward. Um, my radio, my radio mentor was a guy named Fred Giabold, who um, over at WBAI, uh, you know, fifty thousand watts, ninety nine point five FM in New York, um, part of the Pacifica Network. Um, he happened to be an old school wrestling fan, and uh, he grew up in uh, the Midwest under you know Frank Gardner and the Bruiser and the Crusher and all of that. And, he um he invited me on his show like once a month for a little segment uh talk about wrestling and we got very friendly and I'm like my friend uh, I'd like to do more you know I, I love doing radio yeah I'd like to bring up bands I'd like to bring up writers I'd like to bring up comedians and he's like yeah yeah absolutely absolutely so you know we'd be up there at three in the morning um. <laughs> We, we, it, the old studio was at 35th Street, um, off of like 8th Avenue, and, uh, you know, there'd be, uh, homeless guys outside, they'd be, you know, drunk, passed out, whatever, it never bothered us, you know, you walk past the homeless guys at 3 a.m., you'd be on the subway, there'd be like one other guy on the subway with you, because it's 3 a.m. going into Manhattan, instead of coming home from Manhattan, and you're looking at the other guy saying, I hope this guy doesn't kill me, he's looking at me going, you know, I hope this guy doesn't kill me, so, uh, get off the train, there's the homeless guys, walk past them, go up this ancient elevator into the studio, and it was like the Fellini movie, I mean, you, you go up there, and you got, you know, I'd have wrestlers, musicians, comedians, writers, you know, all in one room, three in the morning, it just kind of felt like this, you know, strange dream, but, uh, you know, it was real, and it was, uh, those, those were some of the best nights of my life up there with Fred. And what Fred taught me about radio was very simple. He said it's a blank canvas. doesn't matter if it's a half hour, one hour, two hours, whatever you slot it, it's a blank canvas. You decide what you want to do with it. It's like a painter starts out, you know, a blank piece of, there's nothing on it. So what are you going to do with it? And then he said the other trick is you let the other person talk. It's not about you as the host. It's about the guest. It's not, a, it's not, it's not shock jock radio. It's interviewing a human being, you know, and really listening and letting them respond. And uh, he, he, he actually said to me, they, they do over 80% of the talking. They do over 80% of the talking. And if that's not what's happening, then it's either your fault or, you know, they're not a good guest and they can't talk, which happens sometimes. Somebody could be the best 
person or actor in the world, it doesn't mean, you know, they're a great interview, but that's the goal, you know, uh, and uh, that's what makes good radio. And, you know, I, so, you know, Chris and Alicia, I mean, uh, you know, they're naturals at it anyway, but, um, you know, it's just some little things like that. And, you know, I, and I also explain to them, and whatever you do, it's a choice. Because we'll have my my show two hours and twenty minutes. We're on every Wednesday, seven to nine twenty. Uh, Legends Radio about that. And, uh, we'll do two hours and twenty minutes, and we'll usually have four or five guests. I mean, you can have one or two guests and go much longer. You can have ten guests and do it shorter. You know, it, it, it's what you're comfortable with. But I do I do about twenty minutes per guest. And, and, and it seems to work. 20, 25 minutes each. Uh, that's basically what we do. And we play a lot of music from the indie artists. So we don't have, we call it Legends Radio, and a lot of people, we do have a legend, but we also want to support indie artists. So, uh, you know, we'll tell them, send, send us, you know, two to four MP3s or whatever, and, you know, we'll play their music also. So, uh, not just talk. We have, um, a worldwide net audience, and uh, you know, we'll be heard in dozens of different countries. And uh, it's still more prestigious to be on a you know famous FM station. I mean, I did that for 16 years, but I like the freedom of this. I like you know, if, 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 one, if one day you know you feel like I need a vacation, you know, you don't do the show or the engineer, you know, needs a week or two off. You know, it's like it's not life and death. Um, basically, I'll do, I would say, 48, 49 weeks a year. But, uh, you know, you have a little more flexibility. And, um, and of course, since it's not um, AM or FM radio, you don't have the FCC. If somebody curses, it's not the end of the world. And uh, that's another thing. That I, I said to Chris and Alicia, I said, it's very, very, very rare that I curse on the radio. Not because I'm offended by it, but because it cheapens it. And I said, one, two times, or three times in the course of a year that I will curse, the listeners are like, holy shit, Evan is really mad, or Evan is really passionate about this. Uh, you know, it needs something. It needs something. Right. It's like uh, you, you were talking about you were talking about rap music, which uh, is a perfect example. Um, I, I happen to love quality hip hop. You know, uh, not 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 uh, you know pseudo gangster gangsters living in the suburbs you know, playing a role, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, rap music, when you curse 42 times in one song, it loses its effect, it doesn't mean anything after a while, and, right. uh, um, I have these great, great indie rappers on the show, Cooley High, So Soon, Ms. T, Boom Bit, uh, Prep Rock, uh, Chad Kangas, he's a writer also, um, uh, you know, and, and I love, uh, a guy named AIG, uh, and, uh, you know, these guys have something to say. They have something to say, and it doesn't have to be, you know, uh, cursing. You know, some of them do, some of it, some of them don't, but it, it, it's more than that, and it's, uh, you know, language is what you choose to do with it, really, and, uh, 
know, I, I choose not to. <laughs> I, I choose not to generally. And once in a while, like I said, when I do it, it, it just, it just has like a mega, megaton effect. You know? I have, out of my entire catalog, two songs where I cursed, and they were purposely done um, as a mockery to current rap music. And, and, and again, I, I have no problem with cursing if it's in the right context. I mean, you know, I grew up on um, Richard Pryor, Lenny Bruce, George Collins, you know, Sam Kennison. I, I have no problem with my cursing if it makes sense. You know, but uh, if it's not just for the sake of doing it, it doesn't mean anything. Most of my stuff personally is clean. I don't feel comfortable, you know, um, really cursing when I'm performing. So uh, I, I, I did those as a goof, and I might perform just just for entertainment value, just to kind of shock people because of what the way I usually write. They'll be like, "Whoa, you know, that's not like Angel." <laughs> you know? But um, I actually removed them from my website because young people go, and I didn't want to run across that stuff. So. Hey, look, you know, kids hear it, you know, uh, kids, kids, you know, kids, kids know it, but one thing, any performer, any performer, whether you're a rapper, a, uh, you know, spoken word, uh, you know, anybody, you have to know your audience, and, uh, you know, I, I recently, I'll tell you a funny story, I recently was a judge for a, uh, for a uh, singer-songwriter contest for a uh, record label called Rad, Recording Artist Development. And, uh, you know, it was at the same bar with this very elegant uh, jazz club in the village. You know, just a nice ambiance and, uh, and all the crowd, you know, like a more mature crowd. And uh, this rapper comes on and basically he's cursing for the sake of cursing. You know, he's, uh, and it just wasn't the crowd for it. And, and, and we all said the same. None of us were offended. It's, it's like, you know, I could care less if the guy says fuck 27 times. You know, it doesn't offend me, but it was just the wrong crowd for it, you know? It, it wasn't a young hip-hop crowd. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you have to know your audience no matter what you're doing. It's, uh, That's key. You know, like, like, I, like I just uh, did, did the TV show, and I had a poet friend of mine on, and I know, I know that the average person, you know, doesn't have the attention span to listen to a lot of poetry on a TV show. So I said, you know, do your do one or two poems that are short and powerful, you know, because you have to know the audience, and they're not going to listen to a 20-minute set on a TV show. It's, uh, it, it, that, that's my point. Yeah, I, I agree. Even even as a spoke, spoken word artist, I find it very difficult to sit for a very long time listening. It takes a lot out of you. <laughs> it, it became very tiresome, you know? And that's when I decided I wanted to shift to music. Oh, it's like, any, it's like anything else. I mean, uh, you're sitting somewhere for three hours and, you know, two hours and 40 minutes of it, you know, uh, okay or awful. And you know, 20 minutes of it is great. myself and I was a little nervous because you know like we've never spoken before so you yeah, have but you're to doing, you're doing the person the favor I mean you're 
whoever you're interviewing, you know, you're providing publicity and you're, you're by interviewing them, you're telling them that they're worth being interviewed. So, you know, there's nothing to be uncomfortable about. People should appreciate it. I mean, if they don't, they're assholes. <laughs> it's like, it's like, right? That's a good way to put it. But is I mean, you know, you, you, could, you could be doing anything else for the past hour, so it's flattering that you would take the time to do it. So, uh, you know, that's the way I see it. I mean, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I've done tons of, tons of interviews uh, over the years. Uh, you know, I just I just produced a film, uh full-length documentary called uh, Street Scenario Alive Again. I must, have, I must have done 40 interviews and... Uh, you know, when the wrestler came out, you know, I can't even begin to tell you how many shoots I, I did, and you know, et cetera, so on, and just from being in the wrestling world, and, um, you know, and it, it's, you know, nine out of ten times, it's flattering, and every once in a while, you know, uh, oh, they they don't have this shit together, but, but most of the time, it's very flattering. Yeah, but it's fun, and it's like you said earlier on, you generally want to let the person you're interviewing do the talking, you know? So that kind of... That's the whole point of an interview. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. And that, that helps because it, it, it takes some of the pressure off in the sense that, you know, you know that the person is going to talk, you know, <laughs> which is important. You know? Yeah. Although, and, and I tell you, I tell you, it, it, it's um, the last thing you want to do on, on a one on a one on one interview anyway is you know say or do something that offends the, the uh, other person. I mean, you know, uh, what if what if you what if you said to me in the middle of this interview? And I'm just using this as an example because obviously you did it. What if you said to me, "I think gay marriage is sick," you know? And I'm I'm, I'm I'm like, well, some of my friends are gay. Some of my yeah, I don't think you know. And then, then already you got the person on the defensive instead of you know on the same team. So again, right. it, it, it 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 doesn't come down to you know the interviewer putting himself or herself over it. It's all about the subject, you know. Uh, Somebody told me yesterday, um, 
I was talking with Mike Gessner. He runs the Inspired Word. He's a, a journalist. Um, uh, used to do like a lot of sports and stuff. And we were we were driving back because we were at the show and we all kind of came back together. And he told me that exact same thing. He said, "Angel, you never take sides as a journalist. You know, if you're interviewing someone or you're talking to someone, you don't lead them. You don't take sides. You are an objective." Listener, and then you write, and then well, I. You want to know something? You want to know something? I, I, I say this all the time. Um, you know, some of my heroes, some of my heroes in life, have done some pretty shitty things. You know, like uh, James Brown uh, has been arrested for you know domestic uh, dispute. You know, uh, Bruce Lee died uh, in his mistress's house. Um, you know, Michael Jackson, you know, the whole story, you know, the allegations against him, you know, et cetera, so on. And you almost have to detach yourself and say, let's separate the talent from the personal life, because otherwise you wouldn't like anybody. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, it, I, I mean, uh, I mean, that's basically, uh, you know, and, and I, I know plenty of celebrities and bad people. This is what this is what people laugh. They're people. You go, okay, he's a nice guy, but he's really cheap. Okay, he's a nice guy, but he's kind of you know his politics don't agree with mine. He's a nice guy, but you know he's got a bad temper. You know, he's a nice guy, but he you know. Constantly fucks around on his wife, which is a nice. Uh, you know, you know what I'm saying. But it's it, it's uh, it's you know, people are people, and uh, it, it's just a long-winded way of saying you almost have to detach yourself from you know what they do. You know why why they're famous, why they're great, why they're an artist, because you might not agree with a lot of what they do or some of what they do, and what's the difference? You know it. That's the way I see it, anyway. Uh, I, I noticed a lot of that with um, um, the mo- one of the more recent ones was um, Chris Chris Brown. You know the whole thing with him. Yeah, Chris Brown. Chris Brown has done some disgusting things, but if you like his music, I'm not a big fan. But if you like his music, you can say, okay, he's a he's a he's a really good singer and he's a really good dancer. That has nothing to do with him punching Rihanna in the face. <laughs> I think everybody will agree that punching Rihanna in the face is the wrong thing to do. You know, but you can say, hey, the guy's a good singer. He's a good dancer. And, you know, it's like up to you whether or not you're going to still support him or not. And, uh, you know, Michael Jackson. I mean, I mean, one of one of my one of my cinematic heroes is, was always Clint Eastwood. Then I'm watching him in this Republican convention. I want to like bang my head against the wall. You know, it's like God, how, how awful, how awful. Look what this guy's doing. He's up there, you know, fighting for Mitt Romney, this corporate raider. You know, this guy who devoted his life to greed, who, who like laid off all these people. You know, he's, he's up there. You're making up. You know. He's up there, like making a mockery of himself and defending this this guy who's repulsive to me. And uh, it's like, but he made he made great movies. He still made great movies. You have to detach yourself from it, you know. It's, uh, 
he's just a director. You know, I don't like his politics, but, you know, what can you do? What can you do? Yeah. Yeah, that's how, that's how it is. I mean, Mel Gibson's another example of... Yeah, Mel Gibson's a racist. You know, from everything we've seen, the guy's are racist, he's anti-Semitic, whatever. But uh, from what we've seen, anyway, what what's been alleged, and uh, you know, uh, but the guys make some great movies. <laughs> you know, you can't take the movies away from him. I think he hurt his own career with all of that. I mean, you don't see him much anymore. I think, uh, yeah, you know, he, he screwed himself up. Like, like, uh, I can't feel bad for him because, you know, I, I do 
grunt work and I've managed to survive, so how could this guy not be able to get a cheeseburger? That was the headline. It said, Adam Iverson can't even buy a cheeseburger. I'm like, dude, I no, can I buy was, a cheeseburger. <laughs> I was, I was making, I was making, uh, 34000 a year as a school teacher, and somehow I was paid my bills. I wasn't making $3.4 million. I was making 34000 So maybe I was doing something smarter than this guy. Um, uh, I, can't, I can't feel sorry for him. I mean, uh, yeah, same you know. here. I can't. I can't do bad for my, I, I can get a freaking burger. How can you not get a burger? You know, uh, there's an expression. You can buy too much house. Some of these guys buy too much house, too much car, too much everything. And uh, you know, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, some guys making 100 grand, he's spending 150. And the guy making 30 grand who saves three, uh, that guy's doing better. You know, it's as simple as that. It's math. I remember when that whole Romney thing was going on. That whole chair thing is actually pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. The whole yeah. chair um, thing was uh, interesting. It was embarrassing. It was absolutely embarrassing. And, uh, you know, chilling for a guy like um, Romney who, you know, <laughs> just represents everything. Uh, I've, you see, I'm the exact opposite. I've never, never done anything just for money, you know. I taught because I love teaching. I made movies because I love making movies. I did radio because I love doing radio. Never got never got rich from any of them. So, you know, when a guy devotes his life to just making money and more money and more money and more money, you know, this is probably the wrong guy running for president in this day and age after, you know, the bank and, uh, you know, Wall Street, you know, uh, scandals the past few years. Probably the worst guy they could have possibly picked. Uh, that's on them. Power, 
you know, they, they, they make, they make mistakes, but, you know, it's like, it's like, when I was in the Air Force, um, somebody tried to set me up with, uh, something along those guys, you know, like I, I was a student leader and I was like in a position of power and, you know, I was very friendly with the ladies, you know, I was kind of like a flirt or whatever. Someone reported it to, to, to some sergeant and they took me in and they, they asked me, Angel, you know, were you flirting with such and such girls? And I said, have you seen her? And they said, yes. I was like, well, what do you think? He said, you were? I was like, yes, sir, I was. Can you blame me? Like, I, I just owned it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they said, you know, um, you probably want to cut that out because, you know, people are reporting it and we don't want to see you get in trouble. But had right. I denied it, you know, I would have probably gotten in trouble because now sure. I'm insulting, you know, you're insulting their intelligence. So I right. said, dude, have, have you, you know, with all due respect, Sergeant, have you ever looked at her? Well, I have. I'm like, well, if she was flirting, do you think I'm not going to go with it? <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, he, he, he just like, okay, well, just, uh, you know, be careful because it's been reported that, you know, people are seeing things and given your position, you probably don't want to do that. So it's all how you approached it. If I were Wiener, I would have said, yep, I did it. Sorry. I screwed up. You know, I, I, I just screwed up. What can I say? I appreciate, you know, um, you taking out time to talk. Yeah, send me, send me your music. I'd like to check it out. Yeah, cool. You know, we'll be in contact. I, I, yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the conversation. Oh, thanks. Same here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate yeah. it. Cool. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Okay, nice talking to you. All right. All right. We'll be okay, in touch. Bye-bye. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. 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 You are listening to the NYC Talking Podcast. www.nyctalking.com Please like NYC Talking on Facebook. Please follow Angel R. Talk on Twitter and Instagram. We are NYC Talking, the realest lifestyle blog ever. Thanks for listening.